A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to another episode of the Poor Hitter Podcast. This is Rob D, the Dead Poor Hitter, and I'm back with another episode. Today's guest is Mr. Jordan Rosenbloom. You can find him on the Twitter machine at RosenJordanBloom. And Jordan is a fantastic part of the fantasy baseball world and really intellectual mind. He's doing a lot of good things in the community. Um, he has his hands in helping Eno Saris do his projection for pitching he has a website uh, that he's involved with down in this that line where he had peak projections for all mlb players and he does work for prospects live as well really smart and glad he just started getting into the nfbc world he's a really gonna be a really tough foe for anyone who gets involved in playing against him we recently were involved in a draft champions that we discussed a little bit as well. And uh, this podcast has been several years in the making as we finally got together and did it. And I'm super excited. Um, one of the one of the kindest uh, human beings out there right now in the world. And I really appreciate his time and his insight. He's got a big future ahead of him. Um, yeah, we're going to keep the podcast game rolling. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening on the Patreon as well. I know I talk a lot about it. Um, but it's really... An awesome space to get f- access to the Discord if you sign up, which has been a huge, valuable piece to the to Patreon for many of the members. That they have told me this firsthand. I'm not just saying this. And uh, very, it's fun. It's active. We have different different threads for uh, different talking points. And um, I'm doing player breakdowns. I'm breaking down my drafts and breaking down my strategy in the drafts. So come check it out. Um, and come see if you like it. You get a free trial for a week just to see if you want to be involved with it. If not, no hard feelings. If you want to tell me why maybe um, you didn't like it or what I could be doing better, definitely willing to hear that as well. So um, for everyone tuning into this episode, again, thanks for stopping by. And uh, here's the episode of Me and Jordan. All right, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. This is Rob D., the Dead Pull Hitter. My special guest today is Mr. Jordan Rosenblum. Jordan, thanks for joining the show. What's going on, man? 
Hey, how's it going? I'm doing well here. I'm getting ready to see maybe Godzilla minus one uh, tomorrow. Have you heard of Have you heard of that movie? I don't I actually know what it's about. I have no idea. Tell me, it's minus one. What did that even mean? I don't even know. Honestly, I don't know. One of my friends who I I sort of trust recommended it, so I'm just gonna go see it. I presume it's about Godzilla, um, but but a little bit different of a twist on Godzilla. So uh, looking forward okay. to finding finding out. <laughs> Very interesting. So friend gives you a recommendation, you do it. I mean, if I mean if you give a set of rankings, Jordan, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do it too. So <laughs> that's just the way it works in life. But I think this is uh this podcast has been a couple of uh, years in the making. Possibly we've always discussed it, and now I finally got you on. So I'm super excited about that. Got tons of stuff I want to dive into you, uh, dive into with you. But before that, um, you know, pull here to podcast. Uh, you know, always goes through and gets inside the person of who they are. So who is Jordan Rosenblum? We know that you're Jordan in Finland on Twitter. That's a very, you know, in my head, every time I, I say your name or think of you, I'm like Jordan in Finland. It's not Jordan Rosenblum. So tell us who you are and what you're all about. Yeah, so that that handle, I actually watched like two episodes of Emily in Paris, which yeah. are, uh, was not, not a very enjoyable experience, but it did give me the idea for that handle so i'm glad that, <laughs> that people great. seem to remember people seem to remember it uh so i guess it's a good uh it was a good idea so so, um, so so are you in finland though that's the thing yeah oh yeah are it would be oh, yeah. okay you are okay just wanted to make I sure i am in finland yeah uh <laughs> i lived here I, I grew up in uh north north jersey i moved to denmark in 2015 to study post public policy um, then I met uh, Finn there, and I, I followed her over to Finland, and now I'm doing my PhD, uh, my PhD in fantasy baseball slash social policy here in Finland. <laughs> awesome. North Jersey, man. I didn't know that. How come this was never discussed? What part of North Jersey? Um, Livingston. No shit. Man, look at this. <laughs> That's, what a small world, man. Um, right off the GSP. Um Exactly. Yeah. Past that, yeah. I've been through there, passed it so many times. That's so funny. I had no idea. See, look at this. Look at look at the podcast gets out. This is. Uh, I try to hide my New Jersey origins. You try to. <laughs> it's too much for you. You're like, you, got, you want to stay in stealth mode. So that's pretty cool, man. You got all that's cool. So you um. So tell us a little bit about your job. What do you do besides just that, that fantasy stuff? I think you mentioned it, but you 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 study um you study inequality. You said, yeah. So my doctorate focuses on income inequality. So that's my primary employment, and then and then I do cool. some like workforce strategy consulting for. I did some in in uh, in in New York and in DC, and then I've done that here also, sort of uh, in tandem with the doctorate. So awesome. that's basically been balancing those kind of things damn that's fantastic man then so um did you play baseball at all like how did you get into you know fantasy baseball too but were you an athlete growing up did you play ball what'd you do yeah so i played baseball a lot um but i, I wasn't I, I mean i was pretty good but i'm kind of like a overthinker in a way uh, my therapist says like ocd thinking tendencies um mm. and i think that that's that led to me developing the yips so i can only play the outfield like i can't throw from second base I, it was very hard for me to throw accurately but hitting i was better because it was more like hitting is more like react you don't have time to think 
Um, right. But yeah, I played I played all throughout high school, and it was it was good good times. And in outfield, I was I think I was uh, fine. Mm, that's interesting. So that's probably why Chuck Knobloch couldn't do it, right? It was all it was all psychological. It could have been at least for me. Yeah. At least for me, my biggest nightmare is actually. Um, like you know when you're an adult and it becomes more softball adult softball yes. rather than baseball 100%. my biggest nightmare would be having to be the catcher like on the outfield i think i'm good um and hitting i'm good but having to be the catcher and having to throw the ball back to the pitcher each time i think that's right. my biggest nightmare actually <laughs> what well, yeah not having to make a pitcher work right i mean yeah they, i remember having a couple of uh, teams where the pitcher was so mad like if there was a catcher um who just wasn't with it or it wasn't a regular catcher because some people just enjoyed the catching um but yeah it would just be like come on man just hit the mitt you know just throw it over their heads throw it over to the shortstop and it's just a pain in the ass and pitchers yeah it's just a high like a high embarrassment yeah. to like uh, performance uh, ratio too high too high potential embarrassment uh, i think <laughs> No, you know what? That's a great point because I actually think um, I wasn't really in touch with um, uh, these things when I was younger. You know, even when I started playing adult softball at a young age in my you know twenties and mid twenties, I don't. I think as I got older, I've gotten more. Uh, I've noticed that whatever I was thinking when I was younger was actually was uh, anxiety and stress. You know, it was just. I just thought it was just the way I was and I didn't know how to explain it. I didn't want to take the time to figure it out, you know, when you're you're 20 years old. But I just remember um, always having like, um, like an elevated heart rate or whatever, if it was like a full count, you know, I remember these things. I hated full counts so much that I tried to avoid them at all costs. I swung at the first pitch a lot. I was yeah. a big first pitch guy because my brother um, actually was a big first pitch guy and I loved it. He let off and he was a first pitch seeker and he would, and he was like, had, he had a little bit of Ricky Henderson to him. Like he would just love to go yard right off uh, bat. And I idolized that and I liked it too. But then playing a lot and realizing like, I hate three, two counts or anything with two strikes, anything with two strikes. I hated it because I never wanted to strike out, you know, especially in softball. That's, I never did, but it's still like, it's totally not what you want to do. So I tried to avoid yeah. those um, three, two counts. So you have a little physical, you know, a lot of uh, mental things that, that really comes to your nature when you get a little bit older. Um, all right. So get us in a little bit caught up speed about how you got like involved in the fantasy aspect of the world and just developing um what you're you know what you're doing to tell everyone what you got going on there um yeah so i've been playing fantasy baseball since like early 2000s maybe just as like with my high school friends we actually still have our high school league going now in league 16 year 16 or so um so we're still going strong um and then i started writing for dynasty guru a couple of years back, then I moved to Rotoballer, then Prospects Live, um, and then uh, yeah, I guess that's that's where I'm at now. Actually, uh, next month we don't have to you don't have to announce this, but but we can we can tell the, the it's fine that people hear it in the in the video. But like uh, next month, I think I'll start a FanGraphs, so that'll be that'll, oh, be, that'll be a good nice. time. Nice. That's that. That's fantastic. Um, looking forward to that. And is it going to be like on the like the fantasy, uh, the, the 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 rotograph side, or is it just the regular fan graph side? Okay. Yeah, I think rotograph side. Cool. Um, yeah, so that that should be a good a good new challenge for me. Um, and then 
uh, me, me and me and Ross worked together at the Dynasty Guru, and he liked my. Uh, the first thing I did was like these peak peak projections for prospects, and yep. he he liked those for his his own league. So we partnered up and uh, started Scott the uh, Scott the stat line, mm-hmm. and um, and then we brought Tom Trudeau on to because uh, he's also a big fan of of the um, the projection the peak projections for prospects and and uh and and he he also um is really good at starting twitter uh, controversies so um those <laughs> those two two dual uh aspects no tom's very he's very good uh um i appreciate him and ross's faith in the, in the projections because they um without them too i would I, I think i wouldn't nobody would know about them still so but yeah um Scott in the stat line, or it's kind of named after people say don't scout the stat line. So it's kind of a play on that. But right. scouting the stat line, it's really hard to do. Like it takes a lot of time to basically my projections are just like Marcel projections with my own aging curves and my own major league equivalencies. Um, it's really hard to do to make all these adjustments to the minor league stats so that they're kind of apples to apples. It's very hard to just like look at two stat lines guys at different ages and different leagues and to know how good they are so basically it's just it's just a, a, a way to make it easier to to evaluate prospect stat lines i guess i i mean i really think it's fascinating i i don't even um it's hard for me to even sometimes understand how the major league ones are created and i, I i'm fascinated by like i i've read your process uh, about how you do it and it just seems like so much stuff it's the kind of the things that make my like gives me so much stress in my neck area thinking about like how to try to approach something like this so my hat's off to you that 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 you even attempted this and are like really good at it but like how did you first go down that road how did you just say you know what this is this is kind of something i want to do is it was it born off of playing in leagues and you wanted to like be better at that or is it just something that popped into your head at one point yeah i think it must have been um inspired by like purely functional reasons like um, so Clay Davenport does very similar peak MLEs. Um, he calls them peak Davenports. So I would use those. Um, but then I wanted to I wanted to make my own flavor of those because there wasn't really much competition in that space. And also I wanted to see for myself like how good should I expect these guys to be? Like Juan Soto was one of the the early dudes that kind of broke broke all the projection systems. Um, and the peak, he kind of broke all the, the peak MLAs as well. Um, so it's kind of trying to contextualize him in the context of other historical minor league performances. Um, and it was a bit of a learning curve. Like my first, my first articles on the dynasty guru about it. I feel like I've come a long way since then, but I've basically just been following like, uh, old articles on the Delta method for aging curves and, and on, uh, MLEs from like, uh, Zips or Zimborski and and Jeff Zimmerman and and um, and Tom Tango and other other dudes. So just trying to build on the backs, like Google Scholar says, uh, build on the backs of giants or something. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You you're totally right. They, I mean, there's there's so many smart people out there who've laid laid that out, and just to have the those building blocks, and then find find your zone of of like how you're gonna do it. Um, and I like the play on the, they say like, don't, don't scat the stat line. And sometimes that's all like people really have, you know, um, it is easier to read, you know, stats across a, a page than watch a whole ton of video. Obviously 
it's great to do both, right? But like in a time pinch or um, just if you want to be efficient, it, it, it's nice to do it like that. I think there's a good blend of doing both. Um, and I think like, you know, all the best teams would probably agree with that. I know there's a whole big fight about, you know, traditional scouting versus um, reading, you know, scouting the stat line, like you say. And I think that's, um, I think it's funny because even a lot of my uh, like older friends or, or, or like, um, guys I talked to about baseball, they, they, they're still very, you know, anti, this is ruining the game, this is nerds, and all this fun stuff, and it's like, dude, it's all the stuff you've always thought about in your head, it's just putting a number on it, and that's really what it is, it's like, it's trusting, like, trusting your eyes now with data, and that's it's the simplest form of what it is, right? I mean, or am I just yeah, making yeah. a complete spin on it? No, that's good. I, I think, um, yeah, I think at this point, most people like the scouting versus stats debate is over and people just try to do both um, like the best they can. Um, but yeah, if you think about like the the most basic form of scouting, the stat line would just be like posting a combined triple slash across like college and single A and, and triple A multiple years, whatever. And that's that's very messy. Um, so so trying to improve upon that by like adjusting for league difficulty adjusting for the run scoring environment and just for the age that they are. Um, I think, I think that's kind of um, just kind of trying to clean up that process. Yeah. Uh, so you get more insight from the, from the stat line. Is, has there been anything that um, is there uh, uh, like um, unquantifiable, unquantifiable? Is that, a fucking word actually um, that's good for it, me I'm, I'm good yeah. with unquantifiable okay is there something that like um happens maybe not regularly but often enough that you are like man like how did this happen or like is i don't know how i'm trying to phrase this like is there something that in a player that can that just an outcome can come out and you'd be like how how did this happen from here like I guess yeah. anomalies or, or something that came out of the blue where you're like, oh, I didn't see this. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of uncertainty in baseball. Um, so there are tons of surprises, um, especially in smaller sample sizes. I think once you, once you have like 500, 400 plate appearances from a minor leaguer um, across levels, you can have a decent idea of how good he's going to be, but there's still uncertainty there. And every year there are breakouts. We have no idea. We have no idea about like, nobody even knew who Sawyer Gibson Long was a year ago, whatever. Um, and then Bobby, Bobby Witt's a good example in the CPX after he was drafted, uh, in a hundred plate appearances, he hit like zero home runs, maybe one home run, um, didn't have good stats at all. Now he's a top five, like consensus player. So there's plenty of un uncertainty about it. And, and Witt would be a really good example of, of, um, of don't scout the stat line, but, but, um, there, there are tons of good counter examples also, but, but yeah, plenty of uncertainty in baseball. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so then then you um, came out and you joined up with Eno Saris to help him with his um, pitching projections and the stuff plus model work. So how did that come to be about? So in for Rotoballer, uh, I wrote this piece like incorporating stuff plus into traditional projections because um, stuff plus was pretty new a couple years ago, and I think many of us wrestled with how to kind of incorporate it, how to weigh it against like the more traditional data we have. Um, so that was my own, my efforts to kind of resolve that debate within within myself. Eno saw the piece, uh, or I I may have I think I asked him some stuff about it, but but um, he saw the piece, he liked the piece, so he asked me he asked me to uh, 
to take the lead on on the projections for for the stuff plus projections for the athletic or as we call them p p p e r a um mm -hmm. projections uh but yeah that was that was all you know and and so I, he it was it was very fortunate for me uh, that he that he um he gave me that opportunity it's been it's been really good opportunity for me um a lot of work but um i was yeah i was happy to do it for free just to get my reputation like build my reputation but he also insisted on on paying me so uh very grateful for for you know so, so. that's awesome man that's 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 what we that's really awesome to see in this industry um just to see that come into fruition um someone who just like worked hard to achieve inability to um profit off of it too but like get your thoughts out and get your model out to show the world what you have to offer um and i think that's 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 really awesome because um this uh <laughs> this industry it's hard to get into and just even be noticed and to be able to um parlay some kind of income into you know because of a skill set you have i think that's awesome and i think that's that that's very inspirational for people. It should be motivational for people. Mm -hmm. Like you can do it, you know, you, you can put your mind to it. You can be really good at something and, um, you know, really be a good person in the industry and you'll get noticed and, um, good things will come to you. Just work hard and, and, and those things will bear its fruit. So I think that's really cool. Um, so, you know, I, there's always this hot debate about stuff plus and what it actually can add to evaluate pitchers in fantasy. Um, I've had my um, concerns over it, I guess. Um, I I could have told you that there's some pitchers that I was like, oh, look at this. Like, I like the, the way it's worked out for him with opportunity and, oh, he got the stuff plus looks off the charts. So let's take a chance here and it'll work and some of them don't. So, it's, you know, just like our regular projecting about a player, right? It's just, Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And I think I think a lot of the, the hesitancy is to believe how, um, you know, predictive it is. So why don't you tell us a little bit, you know, about why you think it's super useful in, in fantasy? Um, yeah, so so I think, like, like I was saying before, the, the first Rotoballer article is kind of trying to resolve this debate um, within myself. Because stuff plus is like a kind of a black box metric um, built with XGB XG boost, um, like kind of. I, I don't know exactly how that method works, and you can see what okay. kind of uh, variables are important for stuff plus. But you, it's kind of a black box read. You can't really say why, with certainty, why like one pitcher doesn't have a good stuff plus one and one does. But ultimately, um, it's basically you know put it best. Uh, he said it's gussied up fastball velocity um so if you think of it that way it, there shouldn't really be that much um controversy over it and i don't think there is anymore i think at, at this point it's been validated repeatedly um by tom tango he had the predictive predictiveness of the tools of pitching on his blog tango tiger um and he was very impressed by the stuff plus less so by location plus um i think and and that one also i think uh, won't be in in the models or in in the, my projections at least. It, it already barely was, but I think um, now for twenty twenty four I'll drop it. Uh, and then also in my my own um, evaluations in, in that initial Rotoballer article, um, and in my 
my reviewing the 2023 pitching projections article on prospects live mm-hmm. um stuff plus accomplishes its goal so like it helps predict strikeouts compared to the model with no stuff plus it helps predict BAPIP compared to the model with no stuff plus and it helps predict uh homer homers homers per nine compared to my traditional model without without it and it, but the gains are um they're modest it's very hard to improve on like a um, a naive model uh, in, for projection. So it shouldn't be positioned as some sort of um, throw out everything you knew and and uh, and and throw out all the old ways of projecting. It's, it's very hard to to improve upon like Marshall, um, which is sort of like a naive model, or especially approve, improve upon the other um, well-known projections out there. Um, but it does help a little in the same way that Kind of like a gussied up thing. I like to think of it as like a gussied up fastball velocity. Nice. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely touched upon that um, that article. It's, it's very informative. Like you said, it it it, it shouldn't be viewed, I guess, as, as something that's just gonna you know make you make the best decisions a hundred percent of the time. Like nothing is like that, and it it is hard to improve upon some stuff that's really been you know proven to be good already. So, but I just think it's cool that there's uh, something else out there in the world that now we can can look at and um, incorporate into our own you know fantasy um, evaluations and you know everyone has their yeah. own ways and that's the thing it's I, I, and if, if it's for some people that may just be like hey hey you know I have a system that works already and they don't want to you know mess with that that's fine you know and so I think that's what it comes down to the most I think from what I've seen uh, it's just people have uh, an approach and a system that works and um, I think, you know, sometimes we're just unwilling to let other things in and just, you know, be like, oh, I don't want to mess up the yeah, process that I have. I get it, though, because, like, if you think, um, I, I think it's uncontroversial at this point that it helps, like, generally. It helps improve projections a little bit generally. But mm-hmm. for particular players, uh, it could, it doesn't capture every characteristic. It it's potentially could underrate certain players. So, like, I like Bailey Ober. Um, that guy's been dominant his whole minor league and major league career or, or very good. Um, stuff plus doesn't like him. And for me, uh, I probably like him a little more than, than, uh, or I like him more than, than, um, my projections do because of his, um, more traditional projections. And, and maybe it could be potentially biased against certain, certain types of dudes, but it, it could also be accurately picking up on over, um, his, his velo has, has increased over the years, but, uh, he still doesn't have, no, nobody really regards his stuff as like, as good as, um, like other other uh or when he was a prospect like other other like prospects with good numbers yeah so like that's that's a good point because i think there's a lot of times too just even with uh, general like k minus bb and just maybe some guys would be like i think this guy should be doing better here um and definitely so that definitely comes up is there a type that you think that the model um struggles with like is it just i mean ober is pretty I mean, he has like distinct qualities about him, right? He's a tall dude, gets good extension, and he throws up in the zone all the time. And, um, but also, you know, gets smoked a lot too. I think that's the big thing about the four seamer, right? He, it does get hit very hard because he might lose that location a little bit on it. But um, yeah, I, don't so know. I think if I think if there was a type, then it would be easy to to fix. Or like right. to incorporate that model, like if it's over being tall or his like perceived velocity or something. 
Um, but I think most of that is in there. So it's more just like, um, it's more just like uh, speculation on my point that certain guy or just a general point that certain guys could be, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't, I don't, uh, I didn't develop the stuff, stuff plus metric itself. Um, so it would be hard, hard for me to say, but I, I do think it's potential. It's potentially, it could underrate certain guys as it, like any metric uh, could, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Very good point. Um, We'll be back with just one second talking with Jordan Rosenblum about his projection system. But if the MLB hot stove and transaction has given you that draft itch, you could draft right now on underdogfantasy.com. It is the easiest place to play fantasy baseball. Right now they have a live MLB best ball called the Bullpen where you draft a team for the whole MLB season 2024. It's the best ball format. So all you do is join the Bullpen. You draft your team. That's it. No waivers, no trades, no in-season management. You draft 20 players. You get the best cumulative scores in your starting lineup, which is three pitchers, three infielders, three outfielders, and one flex. Each week of the regular season, getting started is simple. You go to underdogfantasy.com. You sign up with the promo code PULLHITTER, and Underdog doubles your initial deposit up to 100 bucks. The bullpen has $75,000 in total prizes. It's only 5 bucks to enter. So what are you waiting for? Sign up for Underdog with a promo code PULLHITTER and get that first deposit doubled. So you can draft with me in the bullpen today you must be 18 or older 19 or over in alabama nebraska 21 and older massachusetts and arizona and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates terms may apply if you got concerns with your play you may call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ntpgambling.org in arizona call 100 next step in new york call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY in tennessee call 1-800-889-9789 here we go jordan Rosenblum. What do you got coming for 2024? Have you noticed like anything that you kind of focused on that you may think can bring this to the next level? Um, so I I have certain uh, improvements that I want to make. I, I have them listed here, um, but I, it could help. It could make sense to talk about it in the context of how the how the projections did for uh, 2023. Yeah. So cool. So um, basically, I was I looked at uh, the other the big four horsemen of the baseball projections apocalypse: uh, Zips, the Bat, Steamer, uh, what else? Pakota and like Marcel. Okay. I think I think those are the ones I'd focused on, and and it was overall like it was overall middle of the pack, which is awesome because those guys I respect all those guys, and even just keeping up with them uh is great steamer was the best um for for pitchers like across the metric steamer tended to be the top um at predicting each of the 2023 pitching components um but stuff or my my my, my models were the best for walks uh once you drop location so i'm going to drop location because I, I did a model with location plus and without location plus right. um so i'll do it I'll, i'm just going to drop the one with location plus uh, for 2024, because it doesn't seem to, I think it helps describe the past, but it, it location plus, but it doesn't really help, um, predict the future. Or if it does, um, it's not clear, uh, it's not clear yet how to model that, at least right. for me. Right. That makes sense. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's something that it's really, I know it's been discussed a lot about like location, location and, and, because like, it's all like intent too, right? We don't we don't know what the intent of the pitchers have behind the pitchers, and sometimes they just don't even know where it's gonna go, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, that's cool. That's uh, good to know that. Yeah, and uh, 
for strikeouts, it was middle of the pack. Um, I think my biggest my biggest uh, improvements for 2024 would be somehow incorporating a more pitch level metric like swing strike or whiff, something like that, because I didn't have that in there because it's a, it's a pain in the ass to bring that in there, um, like data wise. But I should do it somehow. And then the bigger thing, I think, um, so regressing like pit relievers and starters to a different mean. Uh, I think that that might be the the main like more obvious thing that I wasn't doing. I just didn't know about that. Uh, but I think I'm gonna do. I'll do that now because I now I know about that. So um, I'm hoping that that brings me closer because zips, uh, zips and steamer were were like ahead of everybody in, in strikeouts and projecting strikeouts. So I wanna. I want to close that gap, but I, I think I was I was after them, but I'm hoping that re, the re, regressing relievers and starters separately um, will fix that, and then maybe I think adding the swing strikes um, will will improve it less. But I'll, I'll at least try to do that as well. Interesting. Um, so wh- why is it super difficult to bring that in? It, like, what's the is there a reason behind it? It's just too much, like it's a whole bunch of extra data that you have to make sense of. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I basically would have to pull in the, the, pull the data from the MLB API with like R or something similar. Um, if I want to build the metrics how I want, cause they're more like pitch level, I could just use the fan graphs one and then it, it could be easier. But I think, um, I want to like, there are certain ways in the, in the way, uh, fan graphs defines swinging strike. I'd want to do it my own specific way. And I might prefer like, like whiff, uh, like some sort of whiff rate instead. So it's basically just instead of right now how I basically pull everything from Fangraphs and I refresh the model a few like once a month, um, and I ha- that's fairly easy. Um, I have to rebuild that all in R, which I've been doing this off season, so it, it can repeat it. But it's important to do this because then I can refresh the model every day instead of once a month, um, and it'll be much better for my like efficiency. If I if the model is like easy to reproduce in R, so so it just requires some more legwork on my part. But theoretically, it seems like um, at worst case harmless, and it could help a little. That's cool. That's that's um, that's awesome. And you're just going to be like the overall whiff or like whiff per for a specific pitch. Do you think that matters at all, or just like the overall component? I think it would be. I think it would be an overall. Um, you know, overall type whiff rate from what I, cause I've already started looking at it and that seemed to help the most. Okay. Um, but, but I'm not, I'm not fully committed. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure yet, but I think it'll be that. And then I also want to add in a uh, strike strike percentage um, on a hitter counts. So ignoring pitchers counts, um, just focusing on a, a pitcher's ability to throw a strike when they're behind in the account, when they're behind in the account, which is when it matters the most. Cause if you're one and two, it doesn't, you're not even trying to throw a strike necessarily, or if you've got the batter down 0-2. Um, so I'm going to add that also to the walks model, uh, even though my walks model was the best, because um, it seems theoretically pretty strong to me. Uh, That's interesting. I like that. I like the thought of that in general. Um, it's almost like it just really captures to a lot of um, – the pitcher's ability to just overcome that and and not fold and not just give up, uh, you know, a hit or just something massive that will destruct them. That's pretty cool. That's um, what, yeah, and, like and the- what? So like what? Um, I know. 
I feel like there's always one of the pitchers counts or hitters counts. I always feel like is 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 an arguing point. I don't know why. Is it one? What's technically the 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 hitters count is 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 all the way from three zero right three one. Or how I define it for for like in my own uh, data crunching, uh, I consider it even count. It's like an even count. I consider like. I basically just want to find out can the pitcher throw a strike when he wants to. So right. that okay. means in an even count or when he's behind in the account. When okay. he's behind in the count. Uh, um, so I'm just focusing on those counts and ignoring when he's ahead in the count because if he's ahead in the count, o two or one two, uh, he probably doesn't care that much to throw a strike necessarily. Got it. Like he, that's cool. He's be fine burning, burning, getting them to reach, getting the hitters to reach. Yep. But yeah. To- totally makes sense yeah and then and then for homers i was only behind steamer um so that was good and, and you had asked about you had asked me uh in our own discussions about my barrels per fly ball um, yeah model. yeah tell me about so, that so I, I basically how i built the projections is i added stuff um into a traditional i, I looked at like one one metric let's say strikeouts and then i uh looked at the predictive power on past strikeouts for future strikeouts and then i added in past stuff and i saw how much it it, it improved the projections um and stuff in, in, improved the projections for strikeouts it improved it for batpip and it improved it for um barrels per fly ball but it didn't it didn't improve it for like ground ball rate versus fly ball rate stuff plus didn't really help predict fly balls or ground balls um so basically I just predict I project fly ball or ground ball rate in a traditional way, just using past ground ball rate, um, and then I add in the barrels per fly ball to project, um, or add in stuff to project barrels per fly ball, and then in that way, that that's how I build out the homer homer per nine projection. It's based on uh, barrels per fly ball, and then and then barrels per nine given a certain fly ball percentage and a certain uh, Barrels per fly ball percentage. Man, that's so it's, that's that's pretty cool. Pretty awesome. It sounded like nonsense to me. So so I, I just <laughs> need to <laughs> I may need to rephrase it. Um, but it's like XFIP style logic. So the model kind of starts like for rookies. Uh, it assumes everybody has the same home run per fly ball rate. Um, and then once you add in stuff, the homer per fly ball rate uh, is is then not only a function of of fly ball percentage, but also of uh, the homer per fly ball percentage. So stuff helps helps predict. Whereas XFIP assumes everybody has the same home run mm-hmm. per fly ball rate. Um, stuff plus allows me to like project different rates for people. So like, um, yeah, I guess that's that, that that's pretty fascinating. I, I remember the first time I opened up. Um, the the google sheet and i was like dude there's so many columns here and i was like fascinated by every single one you know i was just like uh, and and it was just so much for me to take in like you know there's 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 babip neutral era and like i said i saw that i saw the home you know barrel per fly ball and i'm like barrel per fly ball i'm like what does that do you know um that's just pretty it's pretty cool just to see that and and just not really know again like so many things are, are are black box you know and we don't really know what goes into them but to see what goes into it is 
is it, it's cool because you get let in a little bit and then you can also you know as uh as a person not like double count things and not just be like account for things that maybe aren't being accounted for but that's in there so you, you kind of know already um yeah so one thing i didn't like about sierra or pcra um they're good they're predictive but theoretically the logic is not clear to me like why i have a quadratic term um and so i wanted to keep things theoretically very easy to explain not that I've succeeded in that um, based on my explanation today, but I think um, I, th I think the the XFIP style logic is pretty clear to people. Um, so so that's kind of what that was part of the appeal of that, and it worked out pretty well because my homers per nine uh, projections were good, only only behind Steamer. Um, and then I, I didn't really separate out infield flies because I don't think that helped, but I want to double check that uh, this year to see if I can maybe close the rest of the gap. Um, by accounting for infield flies, uh, like giving pitcher, pitchers more credit for that. Yeah, like like weakish kind of contact, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know, um, if I'm not mistaken, Fangraphs like infield fly ball and like Statcast pop ups is, is, are very different. No, um, I'm not. I'm not actually. I, I wasn't aware of that, but that that is a good. That's a good tip. I should. I should. Uh, I should keep that in mind. I'm 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 pretty sure like the way Fangraphs defined an infield fly ball. I have to go to the glossary right now because now um, because sometimes I re sometimes I remember it like what it is and then sometimes I I completely um, forget it. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick because I I think it is an an actual uh, different um, infield fly ball. Let's see, can't even find it now. Infield fly. This is good podcasting, right? Everyone loves to hear this, but and for fly yeah. ball percentage, percentage of a batter's fly balls that were infield fly balls. So they have a component of fly balls into it, it seems like, right? It's like I yeah. don't know. It's a different denominator, but I think it's I think it's the same like pop ups are a percentage of all batted balls, whereas infield flies are a percentage of all fly balls for fan graphs. But I think that they're pretty aligned otherwise, besides the so, okay. Besides it being a super different de denominator and, okay. and different sources, probably like sports info solutions versus that cast or whatever. Know. So much stuff out there, man. That, that, that's another thing that drives me nuts with the, you know, with the pitching stuff too. It's just like this site says it's this pitch and this site says it moves this much and this site says it moves that much. And I'm like, what the fuck? So, <laughs> yeah. so, so I'm like, how much does it really move? <laughs> Yeah. again and i i think that's where like sometimes i'm just like all right well i'll just have to watch it you know i like, just like continue to watch a video of a person to see how like this pitch may be but um i know like you know like to say like if he can't measure it you know like he doesn't really you know consider it because he wants to know like quantifiable it is but um yeah that thing drives me nuts like like Brooks baseball is completely different than than Statcast, and Statcast is different from Fangraphs. So I'm like, oh god, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's for a, sure. It's a lot. It's a lot sometimes, and I think so. Like the average person who may just like may just start getting into fantasy and trying to consume all of it might just get like overburdened with stuff, and, um, you know. And then maybe the reason to keep it simple rather than try to get too in the weeds with it. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, um, but yeah, then, yeah, can't. Looking at the rookie projections, um, okay. which which was important to me just because that was what I had focused on uh, yeah. in the past. Um, and my rookie projections were really good. They're probably like uh, 
either the first or second best of the five or of the four in across those components I listed and including an ERA and, and WOBA against. So I'm pretty happy with the, the rookie projections and I made a lot of efforts to keep those like major league equivalencies in shape and the aging curves like in decent shape. So, so that was good. Although um, I would say that whenever somebody does a reviewing projections article and they, they themselves are review, are reviewing their own projections, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. So you got to take my article with a grain of salt, but it's good that I didn't do the best overall, like steamer did the best. Um, Cause if I did the best overall, like if I make improvements and I, and I do the best overall, um, one, one has to be skeptical since I'm the one also writing the article. So I was grateful that steamer uh, kicked my ass this year. <laughs> <laughs> it, and, and do you think it's because you've already w- worked in like, you know, prospect stuff and, um, you know, rookies that you, you kind of have your foot in the door a little bit in this like you think that other projection systems aren't catching on to specific changes in a player? Like, why do you think you were able to be, you know, just as good as you were like last year? Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's only speculation, but I, I feel like my efforts have been disproportionately focused on prospects. So gotcha. whereas yep. they, they are, they probably are more balanced focusing on the whole, whole, um, the whole group, the whole class. Um, so it could be because of that. Or it could be, I mean, it's hard to narrow down the possible explanations, mm-hmm. but I think that's a decent uh, a decent theory anyway, because I've been really disproportionately focused on them historically. Awesome. Good stuff, man. All right, so do you, is there anything else you want to cover about the projection stuff before we get on to talk about some, uh, some, um, some player stuff? I think, I think we pretty much covered it. Um, but you had asked also about the BAPIP neutral. Oh, and yes, the reason yes, I, sorry. Yeah, the reason I had that in there um, is I wasn't sure. There's a bunch of different ways I wanted to project ERA. I have, like, FIP in there. I have PCRA in there. Um, I have just, like, our full, like, main projection and then our traditional projection. Um, but BAPIP is hard to project, and ERA projections can be very um, sensitive to it. Yes. So I wanted to have that in there. It's basically BAPIP neutral is is very similar to, like, the FIP projection. Um okay. And for both me and Zips, uh, our Zips FIP did better than Zips ERA projection, uh, and my BAPIP neutral did better than the full one. So part of that is because the rule changes last year. Um, but but yeah, it's it's tricky to like take all the components. And me and Rudy Gamble were talking about this too. Take all the components and turn it into an ERA projection. That's one thing I've struggled with. Um, and. And I, I was basically following, I kind of like followed Steamer's, re- the relationship between Steamer ERA and the various components. Um, but the reason I had a lot of different versions in there is because I wanted to see, uh, test ver- various ways to turn like a strikeout rate and a walk rate projection and a bat pit projection and homer per nine projection into an ERA projection. Um, right. And I think one thing I might try this year is convert them, uh, turn them into a WOBA against projection first and Wobo against is basically uh, the square root of ERA. If I just um, yeah, yeah. So so I just 
um, if I convert them all to Woba against first, which I also got from Tango, he made me, he basically, when I tweeted out my, uh, my reviewing of, of the projections this off season, Tango forced me to, uh, to convert everything to Woba against first. So I may try that first. Interesting. Um, and then, and then convert Woba against the ERA. Cause Steamer probably is already doing that. Cause those are some smart dudes. Right. Right. Man, it's, it's- it's so cool. We have so many act like so much access to people that can really help uh, you move the needle on something that you that you do, right? I mean, I think um, such a big thing that and, and like a lot of people are willing to help and 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 guide you um, a better way, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. That's awesome. That's sweet. Good stuff, man. I'm excited for you and to keep this going. And um, you know, and uh. I know every time I hop onto that Google sheet, there's like 17 people on it using it. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it's always busy, man. It's always busy on there. People are always looking at it. So uh, yeah. really awesome. Really awesome. Okay. So pretty cool. The, we just did a draft champions draft and um, you used your champions league qualifier, Jordan. You are part of the champions league now. Um, I think it's pretty awesome. I thought the concept that Toby brought out, for everyone to uh, get involved with. It's really cool. If anyone's listening and doesn't know what it is, the NFPC now has a Champions League uh, spurred by um, Toby Bathlip Crazy's idea about pitting um, everyone together into a contest where we play different formats just to see, you know, how rounded out people are. And then the eventual goal is to have one league where everyone squares off against each other. And again, a different format, an auction league. And um, that winner of that league is the champion of the Champions League. And I think it's so cool. I'm uh, really excited that you got involved with it. So, um, you know, why why did you get involved? Like what, what made you like excited to join this? Um, so yeah, basically just the framing that you had, I want to compete against uh, other, all the other good dudes or the good, sorry, all the other good players. Um, I don't actually know really anything about it, but I knew I was going to play the main again. And okay. then I was going to play an OC again. So I was like, I might as well, I wasn't going to play DC. I was like, I might as well just do it so I can compete with these guys. But I, I kind of, it was very mindless. I, I'm just going to do this because all the cool people are doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just ultimately, ultimately, uh, sheep, sheep logic. You know, but it's all excited. Yeah, no, that's very cool. And that's a good point. I think that's that's what a lot of um there's 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 people that I know that have haven't um that haven't done it and they play all three. And I'm like, that's that's the point. Like, you know, you're playing all three formats, and that was the the drive to be like, hey, like let's see how you do on a whole and squared up against everyone else. Um, because I do think that there's there's players that are very good in every like every format, and there's players that are specifically you know good at one format. Um, but it, you know it's great to see how rounded you can be. Um, and like you said, if you're doing the main and the OC already, um, or you do all three, you might as well buy a package and and um, become a part of this Champions League because then that 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 ultimately just you know. You're paying for that extra two fifty to be a part of that Champions League, but if you make it, you know the the final pot could be. I I think right now first place is uh well over you know um what you would win from a main event league. So, um that's just it's just easy to get involved with it, and I'm pretty excited because uh 
the more people will do it. Um, I think once um, football is completely done and everyone on the NFPC gets their f- football winnings, they'll they'll uh, start piling into that for sure. And um, I'm hoping we get well over 100. I think we're almost at 50 now, which would be really cool if we could do that. And um, so I first noticed you when I got into TGFBI, you know, starting to uh, play against um, – all the analysts uh, involved with fantasy baseball, and um, you know you, you're you're just uh, consistently um, up there in the overall finals for that. Um, and I think the I think the year that I was in the top six or seven ish, I forget where I finished. You were, but I think were, like close to me as well. Um, so and I just always oh, saw that you just consistently crushed that league. And then last year I saw that you got involved with, you know, playing some OCs, getting involved in the main. Was that just like the eventual um route for you? Just like being able to parlay your skill set into making some money too? Yeah, I think I think that's basically I feel like I have to uh keep testing myself uh because I've yep. had pretty good success before. Um until I, I think there should be some regression to the mean. Right now I've only played I think 10 leagues on NFBC and I've cashed, I cash in nine. Uh, and, and I think I went, I won five of them. So, but it's a very small sample and I'll, I should regress certainly over a larger sample, but I want to see how, how much I'm going to regress. Cause it, uh, that's a good enough. There's room for some regression for me to still be like good, I guess. A hundred percent. No, I think, I think you, I think you framed it really well. Cause like I, um, you could start off like this a hundred percent and then, you know, add, add a couple more leagues each year. And, um, if you continue to win at this rate, then it's just, you know, you're in, in an elite level. Uh, but even if you come down just a little bit, like you said, it's still good enough that you could probably spend a profit and, um, feel good. Like that you're putting, um, all this effort into fantasy baseball and all this effort into evaluating players. And if you have a skill set where you can just like, Oh, make some money too, while having fun playing this game, it just, just makes sense for you. Um, exactly, yeah. yeah. But I did notice that cause I loved, and that's like one thing that's really cool about the NFBC is like just being able to, to go to a spot, you see the results, you see historicals, you go to some person's name and you're like, Holy shit. You know, I remember the first time I really, started digging in to that um it was like right after i won the overall and i was like okay i want to like make this i want to have access to these players i want to get inside their minds and um podcast with them and i just remember just 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 looking at steve weimer's page and i'm like holy shit this guy just (laughs) this guy just wins and cashes all the time (laughs) it's like it's impressive when you go to a person's page and you don't see the 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 13 14 15s ever you know like that for me it's just as uh impressive as cashing a lot is like you're not terrible um and 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 that's just uh really cool that's just there for us to see uh, obviously people use yeah. it to um you know to, to gauge the, the the room if they want to join a specific draft um but um so you teamed up with dylan white last year for some online championships i saw but i did see that you won um a 750 oc in 2022 but then you got into the 350s this year is there a reason why you got out of that 750 because i mean it has a better roi in that because the the same percentage of the pot still goes into the overall and there's more money for the league really um to win yeah okay so i didn't actually know that but that sounds good and, and I'm, <laughs> probably, 
I'll probably do one because of that this year. Um, it wasn't really, it was just a comedian thing because comedians thing. Um, because Dylan, for drafting, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dylan, I gave him the choice between two 750s or whatever. I think Dylan has a little bit extra spending money though, uh, this offseason. So maybe, you think? maybe this, yeah, for potentially. Uh, so, potentially. Maybe, <laughs> so maybe this time I can convince him. Um, Some two, two, two smart minds, man, on one team. Um, I like the uh, the Rosen Whites was a funny team name. I always, uh, I, or the uh, the White Rosen, um, yeah. Yeah, I I had a I have I have a recommendation though for one maybe like it could be um uh <laughs> like Jordan and <laughs> uh Jordan and Whiteland or something something like crazy stupid like that I have, I, I was trying to just merge you guys because uh <laughs> I I saw so many opportunities there between the Rose and Bloom and the White Rosens um, yeah. No, but if one team name does better than the other, then you have to, uh, you know, stricken the one like the Rosen White. You exactly. know, it, it didn't do well, so you just got to get rid of that. You know, exactly. And White Rosen, <laughs> White Rosen is also like an. It was unintentional, but it's a Mr. Robot reference. Uh, White Rose. Uh, oh, so is it? Oh, okay. That one, has, that one sort of has a. Dylan didn't realize that either, but I like Mr. Robot, so um, that one has a special significance, I suppose. There you go. There you go. But, uh, that's, um, Jordan and Whiteland is a, that's an. I appreciate that suggestion. I'll have to. Uh, we will have to uh, take that one. Focus group that. Focus group that one. Yeah, a hundred percent. Or maybe just Dylan in Finland. How about that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So I just noticed. Um, you know, with the OCs, two of your teams, you were very like in the overall. Um, Tired of things, not in the league, but 25th percentile and 31st percentile in stolen bases. Is there any specific reason you hit such a low profile with stolen bases? I, I know, like, last year, I was just really low in power everywhere. I don't, it's just happened all across the board. I just went for more of the guys that ended up being completely devalued, like the Ahmed Vasarios and the Benintendi's. Not that they didn't have great years, but uh, all, all of a sudden everyone was stealing. So those guys is like their kind of value just dissipated. Um, kind of left me low on power. But is there any reason why you undershot stolen bases there a little bit? Um. So yeah, I didn't. I, I I didn't even. I hadn't even reviewed these honestly. So I had to. I had to review it because you had asked. I appreciate it because I actually might learn something from my losses. Um, <laughs> but we we drafted in one of them. We drafted Tatis and Trey Turner. Uh, first and second so and then but then we didn't really get any other stolen base guys um so i guess i guess we need more like a little more well-rounded team and the other team the other team uh we drafted tim anderson and buxton uh were our big stolen base or and yelich as our big stolen base guys um and yelich was good but but the other ones uh the other guys obviously weren't um and Tovar didn't really steal as much as we wanted. Uh, we had mm -hmm. CJ Abrams, but we ended up, we had so many shortstops. We dropped him like right before, uh, right before he's too. doing, uh, being a world beater. Yeah, um, I did too. I did too. It's okay. Yeah. It's tough to, uh, tough to <laughs> forgive myself. Maybe, yeah, maybe it is. <laughs> And I uh, and I'm trying to make it up by like drafting him more now to like make it up to him like 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 he understands you know yeah I, but sorry <laughs> ultimately it was worth it though because um, we get to more more fully appreciate Brian Slack's uh, his like meme of C dropping C J Abrams 
Jeez, that was... so, so just to be in that company, I think is, it makes it worth it. But shared misery is, is a nice uh, comfort. Any company with Brian Slack is, um, is, is will make your life better without a doubt. Uh, I'm going to miss him, man. I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to keep him alive somehow this year in, in my podcast during the season. I've, I've approached him with an idea and maybe, maybe he takes me up on it. You know, we can't, we can't fully get rid of Brian Slack completely. It's just, I will not have that, you know, at all. Yeah. Good. That's a, <laughs> yeah, good mission. Yeah. Um, one of your teams, you had only 275 homers, uh, 21st percentile, the 80th, 80th percentile last year for home runs um, for the OCs was um, about 322. So what was the big culprit there on your team? That was the Turner and, and Tati's team. That, that was, team was, yeah, that was the only team that, that uh, I didn't, the only time I didn't cash came in sixth place. And you could basically come in sixth just by like sheer effort alone. Um, even yeah. if your team sucks, yeah. um, but I don't, I don't know. It's honestly, it's scary. Me and me and Dylan are pretty, are pretty uh, traumatized from that squad because usually we're we're used to doing really well, um, and the team projected really well according to like Dylan's projections coming out of the draft. And every week we would see the team was like projected really well rest of season, but it, but it's season to date. It was always constantly underperforming. Um, so I don't know. It's ter- it's honestly terrifying. Uh, I guess baseball has uncertainty and we didn't do enough. Yeah. We we weren't like, we, we just didn't do enough in terms of um, we had certain guys that we, that had a really down years that we didn't like cut ties with. Um, but yes. it's because, because they projected pretty well still rest of the season, like Rizzo was one, um, but we should have cut ties, but it's, it's hard to say like when you should cut ties. I think I think that's that's the that's the essence right there of 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 twelve teamers and in, in in a brief snapshot and I think that's why um it's difficult because I do the same thing I, I'm like looking at the rest of the season projection and and just like you said it could be like wow I like all these guys either by variance or underperformance are going to get better right and they they are going to turn it on at some point and then I can make up that ground because a lot of times. I've noticed too, I'm like, man, I just surged up, you know, I just got like 13 points in the last two or three weeks. You know, was it a pickup? Like who, like, and it's like, no, it's just all of a sudden, like three or four players who have been on the performance start picking it up and it just surges you into that pack, but not letting go of a player when you should, well, when you don't know you should, is is so big. I held two years ago, I, I did so well with being cutthroat. I did so well. And then last year, I didn't any OCs. I, I just went back to being holding on to guys too long. And I don't know what happened. I don't know how I went from one to the other. I don't know if it was the specific players I had where I was attached to and I felt the bias to. And I was just like, no, I'm going to keep them on my team. But I was a lot less cutthroat last year. Um, I think that's why, like, uh, Andrew Geller, the, the guild, he does really well in the OCs every year. He has – he's just – very willing to even drop the, a player he's just spent money on in fab, uh, you know, within two or three weeks if if they're not doing well. Even if it was a hundred bucks, he's just moving on, you know. And yeah. um, I, I I think there's something so valuable about that about being able to just do that. And it takes it's not even um, and it's not even like an evaluation of a baseball player thing. It's a personality thing, <laughs> you know. It's like who you are as a person too. I feel has such to do with how how cutthroat and how efficient 
you know, you could be in fab. It's just a lot of that bakes into it. I think that we don't talk about that enough. Like how you are as a person dictates like how you play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know? Um, so what do you enjoy more? The 12 to the 15 teams? Uh, I think I'm more experienced with the 15s. And like you said, the 12s, it kind of stresses me out how you're getting all these like super good players getting cut. Um, so I think I'm more comfortable with the 15s. I, I will play any format um, though, but, but um uh, given the the one six plates performance in the twelves last year, I'm a little scared. I'm a little scared of them now. I'll, I'll still play them, but I'm a little I'm a little more scared of them. And, and all those like Carlos Rodon getting dropped, Chris Sale getting dropped. I'm not used to that kind of stuff mid season. Um, so maybe fifteens, um, maybe fifteens. I'm a little more confident. I prefer the fifteens more too. I I I, I don't know why. Uh, Jeff Zimmerman always makes fun of me because, like, I am more um, excited about trying to figure out if Alex Call is the real deal for this sure. next two weeks versus, you know, like you said, like, uh, do I pick up Carlos O'Donnell drop, like, Reese Olsen, who's pitching better than Carlos Rodon? It's like those yeah. things I don't want to have to deal with a lot, you know. Um, but yeah, the 12 exactly. is like, yeah. And, it, again, that's a skill set in its own, like navigating through all the better options that are on the 15s. Um, but it definitely, uh, I don't know. I, I like the 15s. I, I, I really like digging deeper. I think there's an edge to be had if you can understand that 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 bottom player pool better than others. Um, because exactly, a yeah. lot of times, too, with the 12s, too, like you you can, um, not to say it doesn't take any skill, but if there's a lot of better players out there and there's only four people actively bidding every week, right, you could just run into a bunch of players just, just on accident. You know, um, if you're cycling through your players, um, so how do yeah. you prep for your draft? I know you're a heavy protection guy, so do you use like an SGP or it's like a Z score type of thing? You don't have to give us the whole scoop down, but how do you eventually come up with a ranking system for your players? Um, no, I mean, I'm actually very lazy compared to like Dylan. Uh, it was interesting to, <laughs> to, to like see our playing styles next to each other, so I use the tools that are readily available. I use Fangraphs auction calculator. Um, I'll use right now depth charts is out with steamer. So I'll, that's what I use for RDC, for instance, but I'll switch between ATC and the bad and depth charts, zips, whatever. Um, and, and I try to kind of like triangulate all the projections in my head, uh, including my own, but I, I'm trying to weigh them all kind of similarly. Um, right. so if the bad is like an outlier on a particular guy, I might not like, they didn't like Senga as much last year. So I didn't really listen to the bat and I still drafted Senga, but but then I kind of pick and choose which projections I like based on how much they kind of align with my priors uh, and how, <laughs> how, how similar they are to each other. Um, so yeah, I'll set up an auction calculator um, and then I have ADP. That's basically it. Uh, I have this probability that your guy will still be there spreadsheet, which is. Mm, that's um, nice. I like that. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not really, it's not super necessary, but like it just gives me a, a, an idea of like when to, if I want to get a guy, um, when should I, what round should I take him before the probability starts diminishing? Yep. Um, but it's basically, um, without that, I, I would just be looking at ADP rank um, and then kind of inferring a probability in my head. So this kind of lets me like have a probability, like a, a sign, like assigned, like a specific probability. Um, yeah. And then one thing I'm trying to do more, instead of just looking at the, auction calculator ranks versus ADP. 
Also look at what sort of biases there are or quote unquote biases there are. So catchers tend to be ranked 40 spots earlier than their ADP yep. this year. So um, basically all the catchers are good or, or on average, the, ca- the catchers are a good value. So kind of factor that in. Um, it's not actually good to, to – it's kind of neutral if you take a, a catcher 40 spots earlier than ADP. Um, so if Sal Perez – I'll use an example. If Sal Perez is ranked 80th per Fangraph's auction calculator, but his ADP is 120, um, he would be neutral value, I guess, at, at 80. Um, mm-hmm. But but it might be better to wait on a guy like Kiebert Ruiz who um, – was ranked 170th or his ADP was like 170, but he was ranked like 90 or something. So there's a bigger, there was a bigger spread there. Um, So kind of incorporating the fact that pitchers tend to get drafted earlier than their um, project, than their projected value. Catchers tend to get drafted later than their projected value and and things like that. Um, Kind of not, not as much strictly following the auction calculator as in the past, but also like incorporating the different, uh, positional biases, um, like people like people like to reach on certain positions and wait on certain positions, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It does because yeah, like uh, the same thing in my sheet. The uh, the catchers will always be in the green. Um, I just like the I like the I like to be semi aggressive with catchers. I've always been that way, even in my home league before I even played NFBC. I just always found the a good like good value in having, um, for example, like a draft champions. If you have two catchers that get to 500 plate appearances, you know, um, there's, there might be five or six teams in the league that don't get to six, 700 on a hole. And you might, that's, that's a lot of volume to gain. They might've gained it elsewhere, but to gain it and not have a shitty catcher in there, I've always found it to be pretty useful, you know, and whether that's getting like one, one up top and then hitting in the middle tier or getting two in the middle tier or one up top and one later on. I still think having those, I've never had the, I mean, people make it work like going to $1 catchers in an auction or getting two guys in, in, you know, in round 29 and 30, just to be, you know, catchers and cycling through them. It works, you know, like and, any strategy can work, right? That's what Dave Potts always says, um, <laughs> but it's just, I feel comfortable. I sleep better at night, not having to go that route. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've tended to also take, I get Sal Perez every year in every league. It's, it's very frustrating. Um, I finally didn't take him this year in the DC that we did together. Um, and that's because I kind of, uh, I, I kind of, I didn't follow the strict auction calculator ranks as much because I mm-hmm. incorporated now that catchers tend to be drafted later than they're projected. So I was able to wait on him a little. Uh, I would have taken him. I was close to taking him anyway, though. Um, but I'm a little more worried, I guess, that they'll trade him or they'll they'll start benching him more or something. Yeah, or, or like in you know the back of everyone else's mind, like how 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 can this guy not be broken down yet, right? <laughs> he plays all the time, every single year, so much volume, always injured. He's but like he comes back quick from injury too. That's the thing about him. Um, I've lost so I lost a lot of stats from him this weekend, uh, this past year because um, you know he like had the fractured finger and he's like, Oh, he, he's going to be out for Friday's game. And then he's in sat. And I'm like, ah, he's not going to make it in this weekend. He plays Saturday and Sunday and he goes yard. And I'm like, shit, this fucking yeah. guy, man, he always Insane. does it. He he's, he's a beast. <laughs> he's such a beast. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, let's go to your main event. Um, you came in second place in your league. It's always a very, very close finish for the first place. Uh, I think you were yeah. a point, a point and a half behind first place. Um, yeah. I found it very impressive that this was pretty crazy, but like that, that you spent only four weeks under a hundred points and your lowest of like 94 and a half. That's pretty impressive. Um, my, like my main events, both of them last year followed the same cycle. They were both in the, like the eighties all the way up to like week 11. And then I shot up into the hundred and it was more competitive. And again, I don't know if it's just like grinding my way through it. Or again, like we were saying with the variance and the players, they picked it up more toward the end of the year, but not, not being under a hundred for like, most of i mean being over 100 for most of the season is pretty fucking impressive um and this was your first go at the main event right yeah yeah and, and that's basically just each week i want to make sure i'm maximizing my plate appearances um and and kind of uh getting a com very competitive amount of starts um and, and getting like a, a good amount of two-star pitchers um even if it requires being a little bit more risky with the two-star guys um mm -hmm. so I, I would i would say my consistency and that week-to-week -week consistency if, if there's anything to that besides like luck it would be maximizing plate appearances each week okay yeah that's uh it's such a good game to play um it's definitely just makes sense logically the more chances with that bats you know you you'll put together possibly more counting stats um so your draft was pretty interesting you you went no starting pitcher to round six with clayton kershaw um, and four starting pitches through 16 rounds, which is something I probably might feel a little uncomfortable doing, but I mean, you made it work through the, you know, through, um, you know, at one point you were at six K points in your league in like week 20. Um, and then five weeks later, you had 11, just that, that was nuts. I don't know how that happened, but how was that, how was that pitching approach? Is that something that just came to be, or you, you found yourself knowing that you were going to kind of go that route into the draft? Um, yes. So I think that that was one thing that I kind of learned on the go. Um, I wasn't, ex uh, the starting pitchers got pushed up more than I thought they would. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't want to reach on them. So I had just missed on some guys I liked like Scherzer Verlander in round two. So I took, uh, class a, um, and I didn't want, I didn't want to, uh, and I made the same sort of decision with Sal Perez and Will Smith and Rosarena in three, four, in two, three, four, and five. I probably should have reached though on, or quote unquote, reached on a pitcher there, just because I wouldn't want to do this again, uh, where <laughs> where I had so few pitchers. And yeah. you, uh, you had set uh, in in the doc, you had um, very generously worded it as like, well, I only finished sixty something percentile in pitching points. And you you asked if it was a correlation, like only using four picks on them. I think that 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 we can we could uh, we can go with causation there. Yeah, um, <laughs> I should use I should use a little more uh, a little more efforts on pitching. But I do think it, it's pretty impressive in a way that I still even with um, even with that little investment in pitching in the draft, my pitching was still like uh, above average, and I I was forty third overall. Yeah, um, it was it was still like a strong season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, Taking and, nothing away from that, 100%. I, that was the first thing I noticed, too. I was like, oh, he came in 43rd. I thought it was going to be a little more balanced. And then I was like, man, Michael, just just a little bit more on that pitching side. You you probably yeah. would have been in the running with your friend Dylan there, you know, at least competing in that top 10 because that's not too far. I mean, you dominated batting, you know, so. 
Yeah, and I think the pitchers, like um, the first four, were they they were quite good. So it was Glasnow, Kershaw, Kershaw, Senga. They were all like way. Their ADP was all like they were excellent values. Those dudes. I don't remember the fourth over the top of my head, but off the top of my head, but there's, but but my my depth was really my depth was, was really uh, Cobb. Um, oh no. yeah, Cobb. Yeah, he was good too. Yeah. Um. So yeah. For, fortunately, those guys, I, I nailed it with those dudes. But my depth was horrible. Yeah. Um, and that's why my, my wins were, it was a disaster. Honestly, my wins, um, I was a little unlucky. I looked at like a regression given my amount of innings and my amount of, in my ERA, um, I should have had like five or 10 more wins than expected. So a couple more points, but I still would have been like quite bad, even with five or 10 more, I was still below average of wins. Um, yep. So it was a little bit of bad luck, but mostly my guys were just bad. And in the beginning of the year, um, a lot of my starters like Tanner Houck and, and these dudes, uh, they would have their, their two start weeks like pushed. So they'd only get one start or they would be using the bullpen or something. Cause these guys were like risky dudes. So right. I kind of deserved to get, uh, I got in this big strikeout hole and this big wins hole. And I was using three relievers. The Rays would use Fairbanks once every two weeks or something. I got in this huge strikeout hole and I, I had to dig, dig, a. Uh, Dig, dig my way out the rest of the year. It was very annoying, but um, I did come back in strikeouts and that was by after the fourth or fifth week, I never used three relievers again the whole year. Cause I couldn't, af- I couldn't afford, afford to do it. Wow. Um, and, yeah. I, and I eventually came back in strikeouts, but it was a, it was a real grind and wins. I, I, uh, I may have come back a little, but uh, the wins were probably the, the category that would have put me over the, it would have been the easiest category Um to give me the the victory in my league, I only needed like a, another point or whatever. Yeah, um, that's um, yeah, because also too, like it's not like you had you know that that whole thing about you know draft good pitchers on on like good teams, you know, like or teams that have projected for good WRC plus that could give you a chance to you know into that win column. Like you had Kershaw on the Dodgers, you had now on the Rays, and Senga on the Mets, and not, it's not like that was like the reason you know that your pitchers kind of um you know on the performance like you said that back end depth man like that the main event could really punch you in the mouth sometimes yeah i just had no i had nobody after those mida was mida was uh okay also but but besides him uh it was like whitlock and like like no like nobody basically and then um and then in in the first week of the first fab week uh I, I I spent a two hundred bucks on Hauk yeah. and McGill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that same amount too, one seventy eight. Yeah. yeah, but you would have done the same if you only took four four pitchers in, yeah. in uh, the first sixteen rounds. You might have been panicking as well. And I, I had I had DM'd with a uh, Phil Dusalt um, after I drafted, and I asked him. Uh, he 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 generously offered to give me feedback on my on my team, and he was like. I drafted like Monesey, Kirilov, these like weird flyers in the, in the end. He's like, you got to cut these guys and you got to make moves <laughs> Yeah, uh, in free agency. And he also said he would have drafted like Bassett uh, in the in the mid hundreds instead of, uh, he said I overinvested in, in RP a little, which is probably true. I mean, I didn't even end up, I had three awesome dudes. I had Fairbanks, Duran. Uh, and, and And another dude. Klotze. Yeah, class class a, a, yeah, right. Man, my, yep. my second. Yeah, and and I didn't even end up using. I I ended up only using two all year. So, um, I think I think that was good advice from him. Isn't uh, that great? Yeah. I mean, like Phil Phil is the best just for that reason. Um, 
Like he's so, so generous and it's great insight. I mean, right yeah. after, like he, he, my first, again, my first parlay into the NFBC, I won the DC overall and at the same time I got destroyed in my main event versus him, Rob Silver and, you know. Oh, that's a tough, a tough yeah. Uh, draw. Yeah, tough draw, but like also too, like uh, I I was starting to talk to Phil a little bit um, through DM because um, I saw some of the stuff he was tweeting. Like, where are you getting this information on the NFPC? Like, I was so new to the site, didn't even know how to extract some of the things that he was looking at, and we were talking. And then after the season, like he's asking me questions about you know like how I built this DC team and like what stuff like that I was looking at, and I'm like, so cool. Like, and he was just giving me pointers on on the main event and what i was doing wrong in his eyes and um yeah it, it, it it's really awesome that he was able to give that feedback and i mean yeah. i mean at the time though yeah. you know that probably meant i mean duran was probably given that he was picked 145 yeah that, that was probably a little excessive but i mean it's also too like if you believed in duran that he was going to be the guy and fairbanks is also too kind of like the guy who's like ah you know Hopefully you'll get a full season from him, but he's always getting hurt. So, I mean, in theory, it wasn't a terrible play, but it probably could have been spent like, yeah, on a better resource there. Yeah, I, I personally would have, I, I was happy with my reliever approach um, because I didn't, Duran wasn't, it wasn't clear that he was going to be the sole guy in Minnesota. And Fairbanks, like you said, is a bit of a, was a bit of, or is a bit of a question mark, less so now because the Rays are being really traditional in their closer usage uh, lately. Um, but I should have, I, I agree that I should have invested maybe instead of class A or, or, um, instead of Sal Perez or something, some, at some point I should have, uh, quote unquote, reached a little bit on a first starting pitcher, um, so that I could have used that pick under and without it, without it hurting. Right. Yeah. But on the flip side, um, you know, you, you, you crushed hitting, you were 86 percentile on overall hitting points, 99 percentile on runs. Uh, 98 percentile on ribbies, 95th percentile on average, and stolen bases was low again at 49 percent. Uh, but yeah. it was still good enough for like nine points in the league, so it definitely helped you to wheel that in. But on the overall side, again, something that could have been like you know, it's so hard. Like when we're looking at the overall side of things, it's 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 so hard to be balanced across you know 10 things. Um, and sometimes you'll look at people in the top 10 in. Um, their 90th percentile in seven categories, and it's just like that one that's like really tanking them down. Um, this is why you know striving for like balance is, is really good in in drafting in theory, but you know it it can happen real quick where you like you noticed. I think that's the biggest thing too that I'm learning is like within five or six weeks, um, I'm trying to understand what my team is going to be capable of, and a lot of people will be like the give it time thing or i'll 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 analyze that at the all-star break and i just think that's too long to wait um you can make moves uh to help that you know as soon as you can identify it you know at least just my opinion i know a lot of people don't think it's useless like waiting like doing it that early but i don't think it is i mostly want to win i want to win each week so i want to i want to have the most played appearances each week and i want to have like the most strikeouts each week and then i think if i win each week or if i play with that logic um if i'm projected to win each week using like rasball weekly projections or or the bat weekly projections i like both of those um then i think i have a really good chance um at, at winning the the whole year as well right 
what so you have any preliminary thoughts on like what you're gonna do different at the draft table this year not like player wise but like overall do, do you think maybe because i think my thing was in that second year i knew like okay i can't play adp chicken i can't you know if i want to get aggressive on a player if i feel confident about a player i'm i'm not looking at you know the the i'm not looking at where he should go or or where he is going i'm just gonna take him where i want to take him you know because you don't want to like you don't want to be like the whole season have that regret you know i I, i'd rather take it and it fail than me not taking it and 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 it's just like fuck, i should have done that you know at least just the way i think yeah yeah for sure i think for me just like um taking into account more uh the sort of um adp biases of different positions so i did i did i did know that pitchers get pushed up in the main or I, I think I had I was familiar with that like sentiment but I'm trying to be more quantitative about that by looking at how much they get pushed up and making sure that if I have to reach um, even though they're if they're projected 50th and their ADP is 30th I, I can still um, I can still draft justify drafting a pitcher um, yep. so I don't get stuck with with nobody um, and then on the positive side the injury stashes for me, uh, were incredible um, last year. So Glass now like 150, <laughs> and Bryce Harper like like right. two 260. I wasn't planning on getting Harper, but I think that was that could have been one of the max picks on him. Um, and it's so I, hard I to not do that too, right, Jordan? Like when you're sitting there and you're like, man, I didn't plan this, but Bryce Harper is here. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. So, agree yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, be, being strategic about that, I don't think it's I don't think it's really painful at all to have one or two really good injury stashes, high upside injury stashes. If you go more than that, it could be painful um, yep. because you need to play the matchups each week. But I, I think uh, one or two is certainly justifiable. Although I, I don't know who who they would be yet. I, I haven't I haven't really thought about it about it yet. Like who's expected to come back? Um, but like I took Degrom in RDC. Um, and he's probably I probably expect zero innings from him, but uh, I have twenty pitchers rostered, so there's like a a decent enough chance that he gets like forty innings. Uh, that it and that would that would help help my squad, that kind of thing. And it was yeah, round forty absolutely. or something, round thirty six. Yeah, yeah, you're taking a stab there. There's gonna be a lot of guys there that are gonna be useless anyway, so you might as well get one of the best pitchers ever um for sure <laughs> many, so, many people call him the uh the victor scott of pitching <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um yeah so you mentioned you alluded to your fab first week you uh well week two you hammer out Hauk and mcgill for 170 piece. you actually the runner up too was 177 to mcgill so um there, but you know you can see how your draft influenced a lot of your early fabbing you know like mason miller for 285 but even like manea for 42 jp sears for 30 like 42 you had to really invest in that pitching because of the draft but um mason miller man he was i got i did one mason miller too out of my two main events and 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 uh you know, i had so many high thoughts for him and just like you did with later on you know getting back on your team i did the same thing <laughs> I was like, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna give you one more shot. <laughs> it didn't pan out, <laughs> exactly. but like, uh, you know, um, unlimited chances from us. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then from so week 14 on, you know, you got the David Peterson for, for 12 bucks in week 14, and then um, 
no bid above six bucks after that for the rest of the season. Um, one thing I'm trying to do this year too is really, I got to cut down on some of the early season um, bids for maybe marginal plays that I do think have full playing time, but it's like, you don't have to do 33 bucks. You can probably go 11 or seven, you know, I get, and you get like two or three of those. And then it's September and it's like, fuck, I wish I had some extra dollars here. <laughs> it's not like, I always think it's not even those big 100, 200 guys. Cause they can hit and be valuable for you. But it's more so like when you, you know, overspend from the 30 to the 11 guys that can really get me in trouble. At least, I don't know if you kind of felt the same way. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm 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 super. Uh, that I also when managing with Dylan, it was interesting to like because then I had something to compare it to. But I'm right. definitely more um, uh, more loose with my spending. I I generally don't really. I feel like there's there wasn't even. I mean, McGill, Hauk, Miller, none of those guys came close to paying off. But I also think like dollar bids at the end of the season or two dollar bids. Um, they're so they can go such a long way. Like I got tons of, tons of useful guys. Um, so I would have liked an extra 50 or hundred at the end, but I, I don't want to be too hard on myself. Um, Cause I know that there'll be other guys that I'm going to want to spend on uh, in, this year, but I do want to be a little, a little more, a little more frugal um, at least have an extra hundred or so at the end. Cause then, then you can really dominate. Um, you can really dominate in the last, month or two if you have a little more spending uh, yep. there's like a lot of good guys that come back um I, like well trevor's story is, is not maybe he's not a good example because he wasn't good but but um uh i really wanted him but and he went for like five dollars i couldn't get him when, uh, when he came back so mm-hmm. i was like in a position to to um to get those guys yeah that totally makes sense i i felt the i felt that at the end of the year too and i thought it was pretty frugal um, if there were just the exception of some guys that I look back on my fab and I'm like, shit, like I could have shrunk this down a lot. Um, sometimes we just get in the moment and, um, it is fun, you know, it's fantasy and it's, uh, we feel good about a player. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, what's your expectation for the craziness that was starting pitchers coming up and being the attention of fab everywhere? There's no way we're going to have that kind of influx this year, right? Or we'll- it's hard to say, cause I feel like, uh, <laughs> like the past tends to repeat itself. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of craziness, but, but yeah, maybe it won't be, it did, it did feel like last year was like, there are more like um, more rookies that kind of crushed in their debut start um, than usual. Um, but, but I do think there'll be a good, we should be prepared for a good amount of craziness still probably. Okay, cool. I love it. I love it. Okay, so let's let's get into a little bit of our recent um, draft champions. Um, as you alluded to, we did a Mike the Mouth draft champions, which is a fast clock, even though it's an hour clock. He he he's texting everyone and he's putting the heat on everyone to make fast pitch, which was great. I mean, we were done in probably like two and a half days, right? Almost three days, full days. And I love a draft that just is doesn't consume a lot of your life. A lot of these slow drafts can really go over two or three weeks, and you're like. You don't even remember who you picked in the top five by the time it finishes. You know, it's just, it can really drag on. Um, and I think you you had DM'd me and you were like, hey, you know, this is my Champions League qualifier. I was like, oh man, that's sweet. And I had just drafted against James Anderson the draft before and he used his Champions qualifier. I'm like, is, is everyone picking on me here? What the fuck is going on? Um, <laughs> but um, so what's your uh, 
takeaways here from your first draft of the season. I guess like are are you two do you use like any of like a like a like a category goals type thing? Like are you striving for X amount of home runs and stolen bases or are you just trying to pick the best balanced team possible? Um more the latter, best balanced team possible. I don't really track the my projection my projections uh during. I just try to like take the best make the best pick. And then after the draft I check the standings to see basically how how I did or like the projected standings mm-hmm. um using like depth charts or, or whatever is available. Um but during the draft I'm not I don't really have goals or thresholds or anything like that. Uh just trying to make each pick like the best pick that it can be. And that that each pick is a quantitative or like an analytical process where I'm looking at the auction calculator, I'm looking at ADP and I'm trying to maximize the value. Um, but I'm not not tracking any 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 sort of totals. Um, but yeah, that draft was was fun. The reason that I made it my my Champions League qualifier is because I'm not I don't know that I'll do any other DCs. That was really off in a way. It was really awful for me. Uh, an hour clock. I was I was hoping I was hoping to do like one minute uh, one minute clock. I knew I would. There was no Championship League. Uh, there was no DCs that were. Um, earlier in the day, yeah, they were all in the middle of the night in Finland time. So I was like, "Fuck it, I'll do one draft. I'll stay up till three a.m. It'll be over in two hours, and I'll be done with it." Instead, we I did this hour hour thing, and it dragged on for three days. Um, and it doesn't lock till eight a.m. my time. So the first right. the first night I pull an all nighter. The second night I couldn't even do that. My body was like, "No, this isn't happening." So I set my <laughs> auto pick. I set my auto pick for four rounds. I think that's pretty um, conscientious on my part, like to have four rounds of auto pick. And the draft wasn't even moving that slow. On, it wasn't even moving that fast on day two. Um, so I, I I did four auto picks. And then I figured, because I projected average round takes 30 minutes. Um, so if I do four, I should be safe because we'll get to the pause. Uh, but we actually made it five and it got stuck on me. Um, but thankfully, um, Mike, the... Mike the Mike the merciful mouth, uh, uh, <laughs> forgave, he forgave me. Um, he forgave yeah, that was me. Tough. I know. That was tough. That was a bit tough for me, but it was very fun, and it was the quickest, the quickest slow draft room I've ever been in by far. Um, but still, it was tough. It was tough for being in Finland on Finland time. I know. And I was asking you, like, you know, what time is it now? What time will you it be when, like, we have the pause? And I was like, holy shit. He's going to have a, a lot to battle through. And, um, you know, I know there's some times where I like doing the autograph feature. And, like, I think you're right. You're you're super conscientious by doing four rounds deep of, of autodrafting. Because, you know, um, I'll forget to even do one. Or, I don't know, people just won't go that deep. So that's super, you know, that's a, that's a hat's off. You making everyone else's life a lot easier as well, and I didn't expect it to, um, you know, hit that mark too at the end of the night. And those drafts, again, are tough. Like, could you want to be? It it it's cool that the auto draft is there, and you can set your round cues too. That's that, that's really helpful. But at the same time, ideally, right? You wanna you wanna be able to see who was picked before you make your pick, right? I mean, sometimes exactly. those. Yeah, that's the biggest thing in my eyes. Like, it's easy to just walk away and say, yeah, I like these guys. But sometimes it could be dictated off of, uh, you know, who you really want there and who you really need. Um, that's why yeah, it would yeah. it would have been hard to do that the first day because, right. like, in the top 500 picks, that stuff really matters. In the last 500 or the last 300, it matters less because basically everybody's doing random shit anyway. 
Um, so the top of my queue kind of stayed very similar. So it, it was less risky to do that on day two. But of, of course, uh, you would rather see, like, you'd rather see um, who's getting picked and, and your previous pick would impact your future selections. So it did impact, like, I couldn't have too many catchers. I wanted a third catcher, but I couldn't have too many at the top of the queue. Because I didn't want to wake up to six catchers, like, in my team. That would be, then my season would be over. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's that that actually just happened to me in one draft where I I didn't stagger the outfield. I put it on auto. Um, I didn't like stagger it enough. I didn't set it. The round queue also was a slow moving draft, and I had like I just wanted one more outfielder to make it ten, and now I just doubled up and it became eleven, and then yeah. um, and then it kind of yeah, it kind of threw off my thinking for the rest of it because then there was a player that. I think Johnny De, Johnny DeLuca, I think there was rumblings about the trade. And I was like in, you know, round 46 or 47 to forget, like, but I was just like, man, do do I take him because I like him and he could be a good piece? But uh, now I have like, I may have too many outfielders on my team where I kind of need this third catcher and these these possible spec arms. I don't know. It's just, that, uh, yeah. that's the fun thing about the back end of drafting. But I totally agree with you. It's definitely less comfortable setting that auto at the top um, than the middle where you can just like, okay, there's a, a lot of variability there in the players anyway. But hats off to you, man, because you, you trooped it out. Um, you were true warrior the uh the finish machine which i think that they dubbed you um the ultimate finish machine um <laughs> <laughs> so you did an interesting 29 batters 21 pitcher split it's definitely not um i'd feel a little uncomfortable personally doing i think the most i've stretched out is is, is 22 pitchers and that was um from i think last year a couple of times where i just drafted either three starting pitchers in the top five or six rounds where i just felt comfortable with the overall you know volume i would get from up top um and then also you know you got like glass now Boz and Rodon, so do you feel a little uncomfortable? Like you have to rely on these guys to, you know, probably hit their, um, you know, innings, like the top of their innings peak to keep you afloat there? Or are you just looking for like um, really high impact? Because they're, they're great arms without a doubt. And I think Rodon is going at a point where there's going to be a ton, ton of value if he just returns to the player he was two seasons ago. I just think that hamstring and lower back injuries definitely hamper performance and take a good off season can kind of make that go away for him. Yeah. I think, I think Rodon is definitely um, a guy right now that I, I, th I may have set the minimum on him on, on him or close, um, but I'll, at least if his ADP is anywhere where it is right now, um, I, I feel like I, I would be disappointed in myself if I didn't get him. Um, I looked at our league. So the average team has 21.5 pitchers. So I'm at 21. You're at yeah. 24. So you're you you're you said you'd be a little uncomfortable at 21. That that checks out. Um, you I, I guess you you like a little so, extra pitching depth. Um, but I do. I, I'm not that, I do. Yeah. I'm not that. But I'm not that like unusual. I guess relative to my yeah. I my that's comrades. that's interesting. That was the final number on our league. 21 and a half. Pit, 21 pitchers. and a half. Yeah. Hmm. And and I, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that at the time. I was just looking. I looked at that after. Um, but I was just looking, basically seeing how many pitchers on my bench and like feeling like I'm not going to use any of these guys past stripling any, like anyway, probably, but yeah. it's definitely, I think if my season goes wrong, that that could be why, because, uh, my average innings, 
is also like around 100 or 150 innings less than the average team because I prioritized uh, quality over quantity. Yes. But but even though my innings is less than average, I'm like fourth. I might be I'm bottom three in projected innings. Um, I'm I'm like still top five in strikeouts. Um, and that's a testament to how good the guys I took, like how good they are. Um, and that's with, that's assuming like depth charts has DeGrom projected for zero innings. So, so anything I get from him would be a gravy in that, yeah. in that way. And then I checked, I've only played one DC or the 50, the fifties, one, like no FA, no, no free agency league. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had won that league, uh, um, and th- that league I took 22 pitchers. So I guess it was similar, um, but, but no, yeah. it definitely no, it definitely works. I'm not saying it can't work. I just uh, you know, I, I tend to um be on that 23, 24, like no, 24, yeah. yeah, 24. I I I think that's I've kind of pushed away from that. I think that was more um uh, actually I, like on the majority of my team, you know, I, I don't think, but I think 23, 22 is my sweet spot, but I guess 22, 21 is just really no big deal at that point. Yeah, I think I think as a result of you calling me out on it, I think maybe next time I'll take an extra an extra armor too, because um, it wasn't something that I was that consciously uh, thinking about during the draft. Because it was more just like I have a bunch of guys on my bench. I don't think I'm going to use these guys, so I'm gonna. I, I was more worried about getting five like third basemen, five first basemen, because I, I also don't want to have any zeros from my offense. Um, but yeah, it's a tough Correct. balance in the DC. No, yeah, like it really is. We're trying to project what these guys like in round 40 through 50 will do. And it's sometimes like, all right, what am I going to get from this guy? Like, um, and you're just looking for like a good balance and maybe a shot, a shot in the dark or a player that might get into some playing time or a guy who's going to get a ton of playing time and it's not really great, but at least he's there for you on those empty weeks. I think that's the biggest thing too for yeah. pitchers that I found. Like, um, I don't know. It was just like so many weeks where I was like, man, I just wish I had another arm to just throw out there. Even if it's a reliever that can, you know, that's why I like, you know, picked up like Gregory Soto and Trevor McGill because they got a lot of high leverage innings, you know, like they can get some K's and there's certain weeks and like it could be weeks too. I just don't like this, you know. Um, I don't know if, if fucking Emma Sheehan's going to Colorado and I just don't feel comfortable about it, you know, maybe I just want to plug in a back end reliever or just have options. Um, it, yeah. but it's a fun game. That's why I love about it. Like I, I, I love learning how people approach it. You know, I think that's one of the first things that I learned talking to everyone who played these formats. Uh, I'll, I'll bring up Steve again, but you know, the first time I had him on, he was the first one who laid out how he you know, was very particular about how many guys at each position, you know, how many starters to relievers too. Like what's the ratio of that? And things change year to year based on the environment of the league. But I think it's cool to, um, you know, look at that on a whole and see how people approach. Um, I mean, there's some people in drafts right now, it's been a topic of discussion in my discord about just like, um, put you know, like a uh, very different build and, for example, is someone who's just uh, like picked nine straight batters and and just like really pounded like middle relievers and guys with low whips. He's like trying to get whips and save and just dominate hitting. I don't know, but it's just it's interesting to see what people do. Uh, but on the whole, I think he just only drafted like eighteen pitchers, and that's gonna I think come back to haunt someone when they go really that low into the pool because that's 
you're keeping yourself really, really, uh, I don't know. That's dangerous waters. Yeah. 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 It makes sense. I, I would, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable going much less than I did. I think like, I like to be not stand out in any way and, and be close to the average amount, at least in terms of the split. Yep. So you, you had the sixth pick, you end up going Kyle Tucker. Um, was it a, this, a debate in your head about anybody else or was Tucker pretty much square the guy for you right there? Um, uh, Schreider got some consider consideration, Judge, Soto, Tatis. I think Tatis I, was the main guy I was considering as an alternative. Um, and Tatis is like Tucker, but with more homers and more steals. I don't know why I didn't – I mean, the reason I took Tucker is because Fangraphs only has Steamer out right now um, with depth charts, played appearances, and Tucker projects really well there. Um, so I just did it because of that. But I kind of regret it. I kind of wish I did Tatis. Overall, I don't think it ma it really matters so much. They're pretty similar, um, like similar, like both really quality first rounders. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like maybe I was a little conservative there, or like overly, overly so. Yeah, but that's fine. You know, that's fine. I mean, I think they both have very good floors. Um, I think Tucker's, um. It's just phenomenal, man. The guy gets better every single season, and we may not see him the best from him. We may have seen the best from Tatis. We don't know, right? I mean, uh, he, he was magical in 2021. There was that aura, like, and he's the guy who I truly believe can be uh, the guy that has that Acuna-like season. Like, not to say everyone's going to start doing 40-70, exactly, yeah. but he he's the guy. Um, it's it's pretty ironic, too, because um, I was telling you throughout chat that I just did a deep dive on Tatis for the, you know, my Patreon and um, yeah, a lot of the like the overall power metrics came down a lot. And again, you don't know if it's just from trying to project. Is it okay? Is it is it he missed a year and it's two surgeries, or you know, uh, have those surgeries and maybe PEDs has limited, like has inhibited him to get back to that, you know elite like that not elite level he i think he's at an elite level but the, that tatis level that he was at because he, he still did 30 30 and he still was durable right 141 games after he came back and yeah. i think it's very awesome that he went to right field and was shown that he was a gold glove there too it's pretty impressive he could do whatever he wants in the field but if he if that power does inch back then i think a lot of a lot of people who drafted in that middle and kind of skipped over him will be like, ah, sh I should have picked Tatis. Like he's back, you know, <laughs> and he could yeah, definitely exactly. be it. He could definitely do it. I was, exactly. I was shocked to get him at 10 because I never seen him go that. I think at that point his max was 10. So he doesn't land there a lot, you know? So I was like, oh, this is, this is funny. And I just thought it was ironic too. Cause I just finished writing up that, you know, this may be it, like for until he can get back and become that, you know, even more impressive person he was. But it just landed him there. I was like, oh, great, this is funny. Just wrote him up, had all these feelings about him, and he, I, uh, I was, um, I was with my wife. She had the open a grand opening for a salon that day, and I just like put like, I put up a phone. Mike, of course, text me. I'm like, just text me when I'm picking because I might not be able to look at my phone as often. And text me, I was up. I look. I'm like, oh, Tatis is here. How funny is this? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I think I think if yeah. I had it in my next league, if I have Tatis versus Tucker at one six, I'll do Tatis in that in that case, um, at least to like diversify. But but I do think ultimately, um, maybe I would have if I can go back with the time machine. 
I probably would use my time machine powers for something more important than my draft selections. <laughs> but if I had to use it on my draft, then maybe I would, maybe I could take Tatis there. Or something. There's time machines available, Jordan. They're out there in the world. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you could figure it out. Uh. It's a good reason to upset upset the space time continuum. Yes, without a doubt. Um, you gave me the old snipe in round seven with the Glaber Torres, even though I didn't tell you about that one. I just thought it was funny how you you thought like a round 48 snipe was uh, more more worth talking about for Trevor McGill. Um, yeah, well, it, was, <laughs> it was quite surprising. I have, I'm like two picks away I'm, and I have Trevor McGill at the top of my queue and, and his, his ADP rank is like 800 or something. So I didn't think I didn't think uh, I was at much risk. But I had to take Aaron Bummer, uh, thanks to you. So, so <laughs> it's going to be the Bummer versus Miguel countdown. We're gonna they're going to be head to head all season long. Um, ultimate, X, ultimate X factor. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you, you grabbed Duran in uh, round four, and you got that second closer uh, in round eight with Helsley. Um, I kind of feel like people are. <sighs> I mean, I took Kimbrel over Helsley. I have a ton of Helsley in these gladiators too. Um, I think, oh, I think we might be collectively sleeping on Helsley a little bit. I think people are just still stuck on. Obviously, he he has injury concerns, and that's a big thing. But I think it's the Ali Marmol thing too, right? <laughs> that's like, you know, will they always run him out as closer? I thought it was great that he came back at the end of the year. He pitched back to back games, and he was just continuously dominant um to close the season out so do you have any concerns about that or i mean skill wise is 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 really impressive yeah i think i didn't i didn't want him but the other guys that i <laughs> the other guys that i had had gone a few picks before so i think i wanted maybe it was fairbanks or something yeah um but helsley um i mean it was scary last year with like multiple shutdowns for arm injuries but his velocity was all the way back um when he was at the end of the year so i'm betting i felt okay enough betting on that being fine i also felt like relievers got pushed up a bit more than than i was ready for so i had to kind of pivot numerous times i wanted fairbanks instead of helsley i wanted mason miller um but he went pretty early in our league also mm -hmm. uh so then i had to take chapman um and i had to take chapman like 295 or something earlier than i would have liked um but but i didn't want to get stuck with only two guys that were decent bet for saves. And I think Chapman's a, a decent bet to get at least like 10 saves or so. Without a doubt. Like, even if it's 10 saves, I mean, he just had a hundred strikeouts, you know, like even if you get eight saves and 90 strikeouts, that's still a nice little thing. Cause that's, that's what you want as that third reliever, you know, especially when you have two strong ones that you feel good about getting 60 total, you know, that's yeah. what you just, you know, just enough to get into that space where, um, you know, you can get to that 80th percentile, you get to that 70-ish range, and, um, you know, everything else can fall in line after that. I, I like that. Um, yeah. Because Chapman, I think, I think it, 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 it's hard to speculate when, you know, when someone doesn't have a job, but he still has decent skills. Um, and even if he's just the next man up, he could fall in line to, in, into some secondary saves. Um, yeah without a doubt um so i know you mentioned you know you talked about Sanger for your main event uh you went with Amonaga here in round 15 of this draft um it do you find it hard uh to evaluate the pitchers that are coming from overseas or are you, are you willing do you trust more about like 
yeah, you, you scout the stat line or do you listen to other people's opinions too on what these pitchers might be able to provide to us in fantasy? I think it's mostly um, like averaging the various projections in my head. So Imanaga has zips out now. He's a steamer out and he has a Davenport out and they uh, steamer has him as like the 30th best pitcher. Davenport um, maybe more like 40 uh kind of just eyeballing and then zips is quite high on him he might be like uh maybe 20 by zips something like that but at any, any at any of these um values he's a really good i think people are kind of can be overly conservative on the on the um kbo or npb mm-hmm. imports um but i do think that'll be less true this year because of senga senga was yeah. good so yes people tend to they'll look at the most recent data points senga was good so these next guys will be good but if it was like Kikuchi uh, disappointed in his first year, um, so I think the year after that, people will be like, uh, nah, I don't trust the projections on these guys. Yeah. Um, but the reality is that there's a lot of uh, randomness and there's a lot of um, these guys, they may have more variance in their projections, but I think the average projections are, if you just look at a bunch of systems and um, I think you have a good idea if they're going to be good or not, um, and even if they have higher risk, but also higher reward than like a more established MLB arm with multiple seasons, m- multiple seasons of past data. Yeah, I, I, I always have a tough time evaluating that and feel uncomfortable picking. Senga was in a good spot last year too. He was, his, I mean, his ADP was in like the one fifties, the one eighties, the two hundred when draft season like started and like, you know, at first, and um. You know, I didn't draft them at all in draft champions. I, t- I have a tendency to not go that route, not because I don't think these players can do well. It just, it's just I don't know. You know, so I, I have a little bit of less um, tendency to go that route. And then I saw him in spring training, and I'm like, man, I think I should have took a couple of shares. You know, and I watched him over <laughs> the season. He 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 was really he was great. You know, he was great for the Mets, and he got better as 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 he adjusted to things like the climate and um and not pitching in a dome and the different size of the ball uh you know and he he did really well so it kind of makes me lean into um wanting to go that route and yamamoto it, it just seems like it's funny because there seems to be a consensus um the only like pushback i've seen really has been lance bardowski who like brought about some questions about you know how good his fastball might be uh, but all the way around like all the trusted you know pitching analysis that we get through Eno and um, various other people it seems to be like a no-brainer that he's gonna be this like top level ace and i just find it like a little bit funny that his adp is still hanging out in that like non-ace land right uh well not not, not non-ace but he's just not in that SP group, um, SP one group that we think that he might be in. You know, um, what is he around? What is he around now? Um, so let me bring this up for draft champions in the last month. He's pushed up to sixty six, but he was hanging around like seventy five. Um, okay. but that's yeah. yeah, that's that's right next to Senga and Freed, and still behind, still behind Yuri Perez. Um, yeah. I don't, 
I don't understand how Yuri Perez goes um, ahead of Blake Snell in some drafts, but that's just for probably another podcast to me to rant about. Um, I agree, though. Yeah. <laughs> I just won the Cy Young, and he strikes out 240 batters. One might make it to 130 innings. Just really, <laughs> really wild. Like, I get it. Blake Snell's BABIP and left on base percentage was really, um, you know, not in line with the uh, what he should have done, but it's it just, I don't know. Um, but so, yeah, I, I, I feel like, and maybe this will tick up maybe as he makes that signing is like a signing going to do that much to push him up into, you know, I don't know the Tariq Skubal, Aaron Nola land 50 ish. Um, the way he's talked about, it, he seemed like he should be going here. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. When I took Imanaga, um, only zips was out. Uh, I hadn't seen Davenport, which is a bit, zips is really bullish on him. I hadn't seen Davenport which was a bit lower, um, and Steamer, which was also pretty bullish. So I guess my my, my priors kind of update with each of the projections. But even yeah. with the – the range was really good. It was like from like uh, like 20th best SP to like 40th. So either way, I think um, a good value at this point. And Yamamoto, um, I think Davenport really likes Yamamoto more as like a SP1, like top 15. And then Steamer and Zips may think he's more like 25 or so. Um, but either way, I think he's – I'd be probably comfortable making him like the 20th SP off the board. I don't know where he's at right now. He may be a little a little more bullish than that. Um, but I have to look more into his like projections. I kind of want to you know, like average them in my, in my head, I suppose. Yeah. Um, he's the 28th pitcher overall, like in the last um, month of 28th. drafts. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds. Yeah. I mean, that sounds good. Then, um, like yeah. good value. Then. Um, Davenport projections are the full set out for this year, or just for the import, um, imported players? Yeah. So they're they're off. They're out. Um, they're a little they're a little hard to find. But you basically, if you go to his player pages, each of them has a twenty twenty four projection on the player pages. Um, so yeah, I can I can send you that link also if you if you want. No, I saw I saw that link for on on um I think I think on Twitter. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but um he he doesn't have the full set of like all major leaguers ready for this he year, does, does he? He does, but they're they're oh, it's just, different... it's just in the play. You can't extract like a whole, um, like you. Yeah, I think he has them set up. They they have them on the player pages, and he has them by team. Um, so it, uh... it takes some. It would I take some you. data, data crunching. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, I got it. He does eventually release them like in one in one CSV also. Okay, cool. Good to know. Yeah, I like to look at the various uh various projections too. It's uh it's definitely fun. Um I yeah. just you know, I I usually tend to aggregate them. You know, Tanner Bell's got a like a cool little sheet. It's a it's a projection aggregator. You could put up the five of them in there at, you know at once and it'll, and it spits out um a final number and it's cool that that's my that's my basis of, of of evaluating whether it's flawed or not it makes me comfortable i take what i i i like trust in and um i might even put a little bit more weight and playing time to one or or skill set in the other um just tweaking that i i like to do um yeah no that sounds i think that sounds similar um like a similar variation of what i'm doing as well yeah so, yeah ma'am okay so um Give me the biggest impact prospect for fantasy in 2024 that 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 maybe is receiving little to or no buzz for this upcoming season. 
So I, I didn't. I only took Kyle Hurt in my in RDC. So Ooh. in a way, if you if you follow what I do, then I don't <laughs> think there's I don't think there's going to be imp, impact prospects. But I don't know if any of them in like a DC are guys that you must have um, right now. Like yeah. last year, I like I liked Mason Miller late mostly because projections did. Um, but I looked at the top projections for my guys like WRC top WRC and top uh, ERA or, or like K minus BB projections for prospects. Um, and then I looked at guys that at least have double A or above experience um, because they probably won't that those guys have the best chance of making the, ma- the, ma- the, the majors this year. Um, and then looking at those dudes. So Samuel Basalo, uh, Moises Ballesteros, Jet Williams, Matt Shaw, um, these guys all could make make the majors this year and 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 make a lot of noise. Mm, uh, nice, I like that. Tyler Black is a good one. I think Landon Landon Roop for the Giants is is a dude that um, I did come very close to drafting in our in RDC. Um, maybe I should have, but I, I like him. He's got some double A experience and he projects pretty well. Um, uh, Waldrop. Uh, is our, his, yeah. his ADP is already I think his ADP is already like I don't know top 500 or so but but he he could be a guy that makes noise um and the most uh off the radar would be well he's on the prospect radar but not on the redraft radar really Yumin Lin um he's super young he's always been super young for level um he puts up really good age relative to league numbers for the Diamondbacks uh and he's in double a now and he's the kind of guy that's been always been so young for level that it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was throwing harder, like he had a velo increase um, this this spring, so that's something to be monitored. He's not in the system yet, um, but I considered him drafting him as well. Um, but yeah, I think I think those those are the, that kind of covers, and there'll be a lot of d- different dudes, but um, that break out, but that I can't really that are, you can't really see it uh, right right now because of the unpredictability of baseball of baseball yeah no that's a great list though as is that that that's wonderful i have to look at some of the guys you mentioned there for sure i'm aware of hurt for sure um <laughs> and you picked them too i was like ah oh, that's a nice little i'm picking luis medina and and and, and you're picking kyle hurt in the same round i question myself a little bit there i was like uh maybe i'm not looking <laughs> yeah, at hurt, things i like that hurt has like major league um experience so but yeah. but the dodgers are also seem like they're gonna um bury him so much with all these like signing these signings and acquisitions so it may be more of uh, in a relief role which is fine for this dc but but um i would like i would but i still think he's like could be a good starter um in the long term so yeah all right who's your guest on who's going to be the biggest fab ad this season which prospect is going to get that four five hundred dollar bid this year um, I think of the guys I listed, like Wal- Waldrop could be good, mm-hmm. um, a good, a good pick or maybe Horton, like guys that have a decent amount of hype already. Yeah. yeah um, there's probably totally some, like, see those guys, there's probably some more obvious ones that I'm missing as well. But, but, um, those guys are like not the most hyped, but they're like on the radar already. And, and right. I think that they, they, when they come up, assuming they get off to a decent start next year, um, I would imagine a multi hundred or a couple hundred 
for each. Right, yeah, because like guys like Holiday and Curio are just going to get drafted and held anyway. So you won't see, you probably won't see them in the player pool unless someone drops them, you know. Um, and then I think there's yeah. also um, people might look at some like I think there was like two leagues last year where you know Ellie was dropped early and um, instead of like waiting, you know, like a person just picked him up for the on cheap next like that next week, you know, before waiting for that him to get called up and having that huge price. So those guys like, you know, like Bryce Miller that came up and Andrew Abbott to so totally see someone like Waldrop on a good team like Atlanta, if they have a hole for pitching and he gets called up, it's just going to be this massive price, you know, um, especially if he's kicking ass down the yeah. minors. So I uh, can't wait yeah, for I all think... this fun stuff. Where's uh, Skeen's ADP at? I think he's he's a more obvious pick. I probably should have I could have said as well, but he can I can see him up pretty soon. Three three oh two. He's going to be drafted and held too. I don't see him. Okay, being yeah. There. So he's he's yeah. very much on the on the radar. Yeah, hundred percent. Especially too as we get close to the main event. If he's pitching in spring training and there's any rumbling that he's going to start with the team, it's just probably going to. I mean, Grayson Grayson was drafted pretty aggressively last year. Um, you know, and, and I feel like it, that'll probably just shoot up. I don't think it's going to go down from here. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's that, that's a good call. Cool, man. I really appreciate your time, man. It was good getting to chat with you. Um, I always tell everyone, you know, that I'm truly grateful that people want to, you know, choose to spend an hour, two hours talking to me about fantasy baseball. And I know, like, everyone has important stuff to do in their lives. So I truly appreciate that, man. Thank you for taking the time. Man. Yeah, I've been... I've been wanting to do this one for a while with you, and this is uh, it's been quite nice uh, going back and forth. Um, and it's not, it's exciting to um, play. I, th I think maybe well, we've competed in the overalls, but uh, in the DCs, um, yep, yeah, this year. So good, it's gonna be great, chat. man. Yeah, Thank it'll be you, awesome yeah. if we uh, it'll be awesome if we end up in the Champions League together too, and uh, have to go through that whole battle. But um, <laughs> no. so good, tell everyone where fun. they could. Uh, again, where they could find you on on the X Twitter machine, and where they could find your work, and um, because it's very valuable. Uh, so on Twitter, uh, Rosen Jordan Bloom is my handle, just my name like re rearranged. Um, and then I'm at Prospects Live, um, and and at uh, Fangraphs starting in 2024. Um, uh, I think those, yeah, and and Scott the stat line. Uh, that that's where you can find some of my projections um as well fantastic man appreciate it uh for everyone listening thanks for tuning in and go follow jordan and support his work and uh don't be a bag of shit